Welcome to Women Leading the Way Radio Show, where each time you'll hear from successful women CEOs, executives, and professionals, where we'll discover how they do what they do to be successful in business. We'll be interviewing women who have overcome big challenges, women who have incredible stories of lessons learned in dealing with adversity. We'll even interview women who have started and grown successful organizations and women who are C-level executives with unique talents and positions. Our goal is to bring successful businesswomen together to share how they're leading the way in business today. Good morning and welcome to Women Lead Radio, brought to you by Connected Women of Influence. I'm Knight Campbell, your host for The Leading Edge, Women Pushing Boundaries in Life, Adventure, and Leadership. Our topic today is Exploration with Caroline Hernandez. Caroline is a guide at Caring Leadership Strategies, a management consultant at Bain & Company, and she also took a year off from consulting to go through hike 1,600 miles of the Pacific Crest Trail in California and work as a ski instructor in Breckenridge. Her willingness to explore in big ways during a high-speed business consulting career piqued my interest. I met Caroline when she reached out for a research project on the outdoor industry for her MBA at Kellogg, and we just finished a giant climb on Mount Baker in Washington State. I'm excited to dig into her perspective on life, leadership, and exploration. Good morning, Caroline. Welcome. Morning, night. Thank you. All right, Caroline, to start, what should our listeners know about you? I am, let's see, I grew up in San Diego, um, went to school in the Bay Area, California, then lived in L.A. for a couple years working um, in management consulting out of college. So I've bounced around California a lot. Love the state. Um, it was great to have lived all across it in, in the lead up to hiking um, all across it later on. Uh, yeah, and like you said, Ben, I, I left California um, after hiking and worked as a ski instructor, um, went to the Chicago area to do my MBA for two years, and now I live in Austin, Texas. Um, Love exploring different parts of the country and um, local local areas too. Great to be here. Pretty, pretty different spots in Austin, Chicago, and all over California. You've uh, gone kind of against the flow in your career. You stepped back from Maine to go through hike in California. Uh, you instruct skiing. What made you comfortable with taking radical moves like that in in your career? You know, I I think that career for me doesn't feel like the only – it's important, but it's not – it's it's one part of who I am. Like when I show up to work, that's mm-hmm. not everything about me. Um, and so as I've made decisions about how to spend my time um, advancing as quickly as possible in my career – has not always been the priority. Um, and so at that point in time, I was really excited to learn and grow, but not in a super professional setting, um, in a different setting. And I, I felt I, I've been the company I've been with for a long time in various capacities is a really, really great supportive place to be. And so I was able to have those conversations with mentors and other people at the company, and they were supportive, which was so great. Yeah, I still can't imagine those conversations would be super easy. We know that women tend to ask for promotions and raises less than men. Uh, What made you comfortable asking for a year off 
along with a paid trip to Kellogg, which is a pretty big deal. Yeah. One one thing, actually, there's a another woman I know from the Bain Los Angeles office who was is a good bit more senior than me, and she actually did a similar thing a while back. She took a year. She took a few years to go work in another company after being with Bain out of undergrad before she then went and got an MBA and came back. And she now, at the time that I was thinking about doing that, she was a partner at the firm, so she had had a really great, successful, um, long career there. And so seeing the precedent that she had done that made me feel empowered to ask. Um, and the other, the other piece was that I was just sort of, I was like, I, this is doing this, this year of um, the PCT and ski instructing is, is the priority for me. And if, if I can make it work to stay at Bain, go to business school and come back, I would love to. And if that's not an option, then it might not be the right place for me to commit to going back to right at that point in time. Um, so the, the kind of the combo of factors there was what gave me the push. Yeah. I, I hear mentorship and having, you know, an example is important and it takes a lot yeah. of confidence to say, I have this secure, really good job and this is my priority. So I'm, just going to leave it if it doesn't work out. How, how do you manage to get that kind of confidence? I'm aware of a lot of privilege that gives me that confidence. Um, I I think part of it came from my general understanding with the company that like it, it was a pretty supportive place where at least like that conversation, even if the outcome wasn't exactly what I wanted, it would be a, a positive conversation. Um, like people the people here respect each other and respect where we're each coming from and what we're, what we're looking for. Um, and then, yeah, lots of privilege. I, I have, I'm really, really fortunate to have a, a lot of, have, I've had a lot of educational opportunity and a really supportive family. Um, and even just the couple years working at that job, I was able to build up a good savings net. And so I felt confident like that I had, I wasn't in a position where I, the only way I could make it work was if I was able to arrange things the way that they did work out. But I felt like I had options if that didn't happen. Um, and I'm very, very grateful for that privilege. Yeah. This, this sounds like you put some planning into that too. Uh, it wasn't a spur of the moment decision. What about your mentors? We've, we've talked a little bit about various mentors that you've had. How do you find a great mentor and how do you leverage that, relationship to allow you to do something like this? Yeah. I, I have a lot of really fantastic mentors and some of them have come through formal mentorship programs. I think more have come through those, that type of setting. And then some of them have been really organic. Um, I, I have, you know, I think about at work, that Bain is really great. I feel like I'm I'm like selling Bain right now, but it's a great company. Um, <laughs> Bain is great about setting up formal mentorship. So the the woman who I referenced in the Bain LA office um, was really really encouraging. Involved. Like she just made herself very available to the younger women in the office to to connect with. Um, and there were other women who I was paired with specifically as a mentor in. Um, work settings and like some of which I have clicked with 
somewhat and the relationship has lasted while it's been formally in place. And then for, you know, if someone, if someone leaves the company or I was gone for a while, it's sort of, we're not in contact anymore, but some mentors where I've really clicked with them and I have been persistent about staying in touch. Um, There's one woman I met when I was at Bain LA who I've just really enjoyed. um, And I am Christian and she is as well. And it was not that common in that setting. And so I asked if she would, I I was really excited to connect with someone else who shared that. And so I asked if she would mentor me and we met once a month and I've connected with her two times in the last 12 months. Um, And it's been like, gosh, seven, eight years since we first met. So um, I think asking is the other piece too. Like when I've met someone who I've thought I like you or what you're doing is cool. I, I have gotten increasingly bold about asking them to mentor me and even sponsor me, which I think is a different, a different motion. Um, but, you know, it's not just like being there to be a sounding board and share wisdom, um, but to actively advocate for me in other settings. Asking for people to do that is a, a, a muscle I've been flexing more and more. That's that's really great. Do you have any tips? I, I've been in mentor relationships on both sides, and it seems like often they just kind of fall apart. They don't have momentum. And you mentioned mm-hmm. you met with your mentor every month. Do you have any tips to make these relationships work better for, for people looking for mentors? Yes. I think that I'm a big fan of, the calendar and forcing functions. So having a recurring calendar invite that that prompts at the very least me to say, oh yeah, I should reach out to Leslie and confirm that she's free at this time, and if not, reschedule. And then, and and then another important piece to that is having that the um, at a reasonable cadence. Like I don't think I have one mentor I meet with once a month right now, and that's. Like she is formally assigned to me as my mentor for their work, but then less formal mentors I, I meet with once a quarter because it's a lot to ask someone's time once a month. Um, so having having a realistic uh, expectation in place for how often you'll talk helps because if it's too often, you're just going to skip it. And that leads to, that can lead to the, uh, it just kind of crumbles or fizzles out. Yeah, that's a great point. Too, too much uh time requirement maybe isn't such a good thing. We're going to take a quick moment and recognize one of our sponsors. Women Lead Radio is brought to you today by Connected Women of Influence and our partner, National University. National University is proud to be one of the largest private nonprofit universities founded in 1971. The National University mission is to provide accessible, achievable higher education to adult learners. Today, National University educates students from across the U.S. and around the globe with over 170,000 alumni worldwide. Thank you for your support, National University, and to all our sponsors and partners. Welcome back to Leading on the Edge with our guest, Caroline Hernandez. Okay, Caroline, let's get down to the fun stuff, the PCP. (laughs) What was that experience like? Wow. It It was so wonderful and diverse so many different it felt like phases um seasons of one three month chunk of time i i learned i learned a lot about myself and i saw so much um and i met so many wonderful people and i think that it's something where i'll i'll step back and 
and see lessons learned now that I didn't recognize at the time or even a year later. Like the, it's, it has stuck with me and I, what I take away from it continues to evolve. Yeah. So three months, 1,000, almost 700 miles from the desert to high alpine. Can you share a little bit what's entailed in that for people who may not be familiar with backpacking? Yeah, absolutely. It's similar in some ways to a normal backpacking trip, um, except that you start and end at very, very different places and you're going for a long time. So I've had people ask, like, how did you carry food for three months? Um, And you you don't do that. You carry about anywhere from three to seven days worth of food at a time, and then you stop in towns that are near the trail along the way. Sometimes it's as easy as you, the trail intersects with a major road and you you grab a ride into a town. Sometimes you have to hike a spur trail off of the main PCT trail, you know, eight miles to a trailhead and then find a way into town. Um, but you get your food and supplies that way. You carry everything you need that's not... Um, consumable so your your tent that you stay in your sleeping bag that keeps you warm at night only wear I only had two sets of clothes for the whole three months one to hike in one to sleep in um I didn't carry a toothbrush (laughs) I'm a big flosser I prioritize that um and you you wake up every day and you pack up your tent and you walk for seven to twelve hours and see beautiful things and take some breaks and eat a a boatload of food and then you find a place to camp and you set up your tent and you get in and you sleep and you sleep a lot because your body needs a lot of recovery time. It's a very, in some ways, it's a very simple, you shift to a very simple life. Like your priorities are moving and taking care of yourself. Um, Then it's also very fun because there's a, there's a huge number of people also on this journey with you. And so it's not just this very like self-contained experience. I, I met, I probably met someone new almost every single day that I was on the trail, even if it was just a quick hello with a new face. Um, and some people I spent a lot of time with and got to know really well. Super special. What was it like going from that simple, refreshing, daily cadence back to business school? It was very uh, jarring transition. I and I went pretty straight. I finished the trail on August first, and I was doing student orientation by like August twentieth. Um, and it was it was very different. And being in the Chicago area for business school um, was also, I think, challenging. I think if I'd gone to business school in a city where there was a strong outdoor recreation culture, I might have felt a bit more at ease in the transition, but um, I just didn't, there wasn't a lot of opportunity to recreate in the same way in my local area and not a lot of community around that in the, the program that I went to. Um, and so the first few months I was, I was um, excited to be there for the reasons that I had wanted to go there in the first place. And now that I've had, a, you know, now that I went through that whole experience, I'm, it was, it was wonderful. And I'm so, so glad I went to business school glad I went to Chicago, pushed me in different ways. Um, and it, it tested my, my thought that I like, I cannot survive, um, in a place with mountains. Like I can survive and have a really wonderful, lovely life and find different ways to, to 
to spend my free time and have great friendships and relationships and community. But I do think that, um, yeah, the first few months I was just like, where am I? What am I doing? No one here wants to talk about the things that I want to talk about. (laughs) (laughs) I can imagine you showing people pictures of mountains, uh, them saying, yeah, that's cool. Uh, Do you have any (laughs) lessons that you learned from that PCT experience that stand out to you that kind of help guide you? Yes. Um, I think one lesson is that it's nice to have a balance of time in community and then time on your own. I My experience, I spent the first two months essentially in very tight-knit groups of people and then two different groups. And the last month I spent pretty on my own just given the pace the pace of the group I'd been in and my pace and the fact that I wasn't finishing the entire trail. Um, and by the end of that month alone, I, I was so ready to be back with other humans. Um, and I think that there's something really wonderful when you're in busy, like kind of standard life to go have some time on your own in nature to, to decompress, um, but I think that being out there for a month of, of time to just be with my thoughts was more more than I needed, which is good to know. Um, and I, I don't know that that's probably going to be the, true for everyone. Um, and then another another big one is just knowing limits and um, being really, really just aware of risk. Um, I went through the the high Sierra of California, which starts starts like around a spot called Lone Pine and kind of near Lake Tahoe, um, and you're at really high elevation. And I went on a year in a year where the snow pack had been very very big, and it had snowed pretty late into the season. So we were traveling over snow for almost the entire time of that 300 mile stretch, and it was at high elevation, so the snow was still. It was, it was really just melting as we were going through, which meant that the creeks, which are most of the year are either under snow or pretty small and modest, were quite quite strong. And that was um, something that people were talking about a lot as a big risk because a lot of those creeks don't have bridges over them since they're not big most of the year. Um, and so you needed to pass over either through it or find some other sort of natural way to cross. Um, and... I, I was with, yeah, I think I was learning. I learned to <laughs> when I should and shouldn't try something. Like what's the right sort of signal to listen to in terms of what I'm observing around me in my own response. Um, there was one stream crossing that I went through with this group of people I was with. And we were we were trying to move fairly quickly in general, through that period of time, it was, it was so much slower than just walking on trail because you're on snow, um, which is very, like, it's just hard to walk on. You, you can't see the trail, so you're navigating, which is, takes more effort and it's less direct, and you're going over some really steep mountain passes, which can be very slow. So we were trying to move generally quickly and got to a stream that looked pretty, pretty strong, had a really strong current. And I remember looking at it and thinking, I don't, I don't like how that looks that we've gone up, we've gone through stuff kind of similar. I think it'll be fine. I don't want to hold up the group. Um, 
and I we we made it I made it all the way to the other bank kind of in a lineup with the group I was with and then as I was getting out lost my footing and got caught in the current and swept downstream and someone in my group was able to run down the bank and fish me out um which was just so so wonderful really thankful for that friend but jarring experience um and definitely one where I took a risk and it could have gone much worse than it did um and so I think that I I learned from that to be like there's like not speaking up because you don't want to slow down the group is not I mean sometimes when something that's low risk it's it's an okay answer but in that case it was not not the best answer um which makes me think of the conversation we had this week on Mount Baker about about how to think about risk thinking about likelihood and consequence and where something falls on that two by two is a good way to assess whether you know to what degree you speak up and change plans and mitigate, et cetera. Yeah, it's so hard to to speak up and the the likelihood of getting swept downstream and the consequence both seem pretty high there. Uh, you recently guided an all women's canoe adventure in Black Canyon for care and leadership. I'm curious what your take is. Is it different in a group of all women versus a, a mixed gender group? Mm. Yes, I think I think it is different. I think being in a in a group of all women in general in any setting feels different. And I think both are great. I, I enjoy being in groups with both men and women, um, and with being groups of all women. I think that yeah, the dynamic was it was just different. Um I don't think that there was necessarily a ton of conversation around specifically things that women are challenged with. Um, But, yeah, I'm not articulating it well, but different energy. Yeah, maybe maybe it's hard to articulate. I know I I taught some all-women rock climbing classes. I know, weird, obviously. Don't sit there. (laughs) Uh, but it felt very different. And I think if I had to put my finger on it, there was less ego. There's just as much, uh, maybe uh, pressure is not the right word, but support and encouragement to get to the top. There wasn't any giving up or, Oh, don't worry. Don't, you don't need to try hard, but there wasn't really a feeling of, Oh, you didn't get to the top. And I did, which often comes up in mixed gender or all male groups. Yeah. Uh, and I, that struck me as pretty interesting. Yeah. I, you know, as I was thinking about was it different night, I was thinking about our trip this weekend on Mount Baker. And I, I what's very cool and perhaps less common is our trip this weekend, which was mixed gender, there was so little ego. Um, and I don't, you know, thinking back to the the trip I did, in Black Canyon with all women, also low ego and equally low ego. But I have been on on trips or in groups with some or mostly men where there is a lot of ego. And that does lead to a a culture um, of being a little bit less conscious of risk and and one-upsmanship. So, you know, cool to, like, it's not always the case in a mixed group, but it perhaps is more likely. 
Yeah, that's that's a great point. In general, is is always a good two words to add. I'm curious from your perspective, uh, do women gain anything from going outside, being on adventures? Yes, I think so. I think I think everyone can can gain a lot from going outside. But perhaps perhaps there's something. Um, especially useful about it from women. I think about, there's a book that came out probably when I was in high school or something called the, the Daring Book for Boys. And it was this like book marketed towards maybe like 10 to 12 year old young men that had really cool illustrations and thoughts around adventures. And I remember seeing a version for girls like a few years later. And I have no clue if um, they actually came out at the same time or one was made later. But that, that, at least perception and experience I had, I think, illustrate something that happens in the way men and women are raised, which is that men, like young boys are encouraged to be like kind of wild and crazy and rough and rowdy and, um, and gritty, like run out and scrape your knee and fall and it's fine. And, and women are not often raised in the same way. Um, and I, I don't, I'm not a parent. I don't have, a ton of developed thoughts on how how to parent young boys and girls differently, and I don't think that necessarily treating them 100% the same is, I don't know if that's right or not, but I do think that um, being an adult human and being a woman, you need to be gritty, um, and that going outside, if you, if you feel like that's something that you want to develop further, is a fantastic way to do that. Um, I still feel like I'm developing that myself. Like some, I've, I've built more grit than I had when I was younger and I still could have so much more toughness. Um, and I saw that this weekend on Mount Baker, like there were moments where I felt really, there was, there was an absence of grit. Um, and it's, you know, it's good to see that and to know it's there and to know that I have more space to grow in that. And I have opportunities to by being outside and doing hard things. And I think that that's available to everyone. And all women. Yeah, I love the grit aspect. I, I know Abigail Jones, one of our partners, talks about being gritty professionals outdoors. Mm-hmm. Um, something I've seen, you know, I've, I've guided with a lot of women through Cairn and uh, National Outdoor Leadership School, and I think this is my hypothesis that women outdoors are strong. They carry the same weight packs and do the same cool stuff as I do. Uh, And their self-image starts to shift from, you know, being pretty or attractive or what their weight is to I'm strong. I don't really care what my weight is. I carry an 80 pound pack up a mountain. So deal with it. Uh, What what are your (laughs) thoughts on that kind of shift of perspective? I think that that is, really powerful. Um, I do think a lot of women have a, whether we opt into it or we, we struggle with it, there's a, a belief that exists in the ether that your worth is tied to how you look and how thin you are. And um, I've heard in other contexts, outdoors and also parenthood, like having your, your thought around your body shift from how it looks to what it can do is super healthy and empowering. Um, and I love being outside for that reason, because I don't look at a mirror for days on end and it just doesn't, 
it's like without that sort of feedback signal, I just don't really care. Like, I don't care. I don't know if I have any pimples on my face. I don't know if I have dirt or whatever. It doesn't matter. Um, it's about the, being in the, the place and being with the people and moving my body. That's so good. Just be away from mirrors and Instagram and all of that and just move. Just be outside. Yeah. Do you think that in general uh, women have any unique strengths as leaders? Hmm. You know, the first thing that came to mind, I think, maybe is cliche, but I, it still came to mind. I think that sometimes women are have women have strong EQs, and perhaps sometimes, not always stronger than their male counterparts and I think that's super important to being a leader being able to um, read the people around you that you're working with and assess where they're at and how you can work with them given where they're at I see that in client services like Bain Um, we work with clients a lot and they're people who are stakeholders that we need to we need to influence where they go but we don't have you know we're not there their superiors or have the ability to tell them to direct them and how to do. So being able to read clients and um, figure out what's motivating them, why they're behaving a certain way and how you can actually address their needs and their desires um, that might be below the surface, super valuable for accomplishing things with them alongside them and getting good results. Yeah. That, that emotional intelligence can be, can give you more influence as a leader when you when you use it wisely. I cannot believe how fast half an hour goes, as always. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we're already there. I'm curious uh, if our listeners want to reach out to you after the show. What's the best way to contact you? Yeah, um, I am not on social media, so you can you can email me. <laughs> My email is. Caroline G. Hernandez at gmail.com. That's C-A-R-O-L-I-N-E-G, as in golf, Hernandez with an H, not an S, at gmail.com, A-T-R-N-A-N-D-E-Z. If you're listening and you want to connect, reach out. I would love to talk to you, say hi, and hear what's going on. There you go. I hope you got a bunch of inquiries about how (laughs) to get on the Pacific Crest Trail. Yeah, Um, me too. (laughs) Caroline, thank you so much for your time. So appreciate you sharing your insights and experience today. Thank you, Knight. It was so great to talk to you. Thanks for your time and letting me come on and chat. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Okay, that's all for our show today. Thank you again, Caroline, for being our guest. And thank you to all our listeners around the world. Remember, you can always tune in to Women Lead Radio shows Mondays at 9 a.m. and Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. It has been my pleasure to be your host today. I hope this episode inspires you to keep exploring, pushing your boundaries, and leading on the edge. Women Leading the Way is produced by Connected Women of Influence, the premier private membership organization where like-focused, business-to-business executive and professional women connect, collaborate, and cultivate a vast network of high-level affiliations, resources, and professional relationships. 
For more information about Connected Women of Influence, please visit our website at connectedwomenofinfluence.com.